Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. I think I'm at my best when I look at the rest of my career as a bonus, because then there's no pressure. I have no pressure to live up to my brand or my vision or my expectations or my lifestyle. I, I'm at my best when I don't think that way. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of In the Envelope. What an exciting time to be joining In the Envelope. What a treat. What a treat we have for you today. Uh, With Ken Jeong, the voice you just heard, all-around TV comedy legend, I would say, Ken Jeong, and I have to say, a sensational interview. Uh, And we will get to that in a second. But of course, I'm the awards editor at Backstage. I'm obsessed with awards. I am obsessed in particular with the Emmys. The Emmys just happened and I have thoughts <laughs> and opinions. Shocker, I have thoughts. For those who maybe only know them in the periphery or didn't catch the Emmys at all, The Queen's Gambit and The Crown came out on top. They were two of the big winners. And so um, totaling the creative arts and primetime ceremonies, the creative arts Emmys happened the weekend before, that very much gave Netflix the lead in terms of amount of wins this year. Um, But I think Apple TV Plus is probably very happy with Ted Lasso making good on its promise of that this was the most nominated freshman comedy in Emmy's history, and it did quite well, winning Best Comedy. Congratulations to recent podcast guest Brett Goldstein. But I was happy, too, to see Hacks earning love in the comedy categories. Congratulations also to podcast guest Gene Smart. Is it too late to start the rumor that we are related? Um, I tried to get that going on Twitter during the ceremony and was like, maybe I should have planted these seeds a little earlier. Uh, To be clear, we are not related. I was also curious to see in these results how vote splitting is usually an issue, which is when two co-stars are nominated in the same category and they're essentially competing against each other. That didn't really seem to factor in this year. Brett Goldstein beat many of his co-stars. Olivia Colman for The Crown beat Emma Corrin, friend of the show, Olivia kind of proving that she's always a voter's favorite. And then Julianne Nicholson, congratulations, Julianne, on your Emmy. She also beat out uh, her co-star, Jean Smart. Anyway, the other thing about this ceremony, of course, was that this is a COVID-era ceremony. We are still in a pandemic. So there's bound to be some weirdness. I thought the weirdness was just about as much weirdness as I expected. The host, uh, Cedric the Entertainer, kind of kind of kept things goofy in these comedy sketches it was notable, though, that the first presenter of the night, Seth Rogen, you know, kind of poked fun at the indoors and presumably unsafe environment before then multiple people had to then kind of assure viewers like this ceremony is being produced and presented in accordance with the same strict COVID protocols that we see on Hollywood sets. But I will say as a viewer, you know, seeing a bunch of people indoors, it's still 
it's still strange. <laughs> and I think that's just the, maybe the new normal for awards shows. I don't know. So many new normals we're all still getting used to. Um, and then otherwise, I was just very pleased to see, I know the backstage team in general was very pleased to see Michaela Cole become an Emmy winner for her writing. And her speech, which was kind of targeted at inspiring writers, was, of course, catnip to me. That felt very backstagey. It felt very this podcast to provide aspiring writers the exact advice they want to hear. And um, I will say it's fitting today, too, in speaking of advice, it's fitting that we have Ken Jeong on the podcast today because, first of all, he had one of the funnier bits at this Emmys ceremony this weekend. But he's sort of an all-around hustler, an all-around TV titan, even just looking at his entertainment career, hosting I Can See Your Voice. He's a panelist. Of course, he's most famously known at this point for being a panelist on The Masked Singer, which is such a hit. It's going five seasons strong. The new season premiered yesterday, September 22nd. But the thing about Ken is that in addition to all of that, all of his insane work in Hollywood breaking through at a pretty older age, he's a licensed physician and a full working medical professional at one point. He still responds to medical issues on sets. So any aspiring performers juggling that life with another life or career, which frankly is everyone because we all have lives other than our art or our work, they can all relate to, I think, this interview and to Ken's trajectory through the industry, especially, again, those who are kind of getting their start later. It's also just funny, we hearing Ken talk about his breakout in the industry, which was in the Judd Apatow film, Knocked Up, he plays a doctor. And that was kind of his first introduction to on-camera acting, but he really got to harness his personal experiences in that in a really direct way. And I was so fascinated to hear how his personal experiences still inform these unscripted projects like Mass Singer and I Can See Your Voice. And hearing about how the craft associated with scripted delivery and the craft with hosting or with unscripted reality shows, there's a fascinating overlap there that, of course, Ken is uniquely qualified to kind of reveal for us. Anyway, let's get to this interview. We are linking to a fabulous piece in Backstage on I Can See Your Voice casting. Who knows? Maybe you'll be working with Ken on that show next. And um, if you are a celebrity listening to this, hey, maybe we will see you taking that mask off on The Masked Singer. I don't know. <laughs> Did I mention, if I mentioned enough just how strange The Masked Singer is, I am allowed to say that because the show very much knows it. Ken very much knows it. He speaks about it in this interview. Let's take a quick break and then introduce Ken and get to it. Hey, if you are an actor or an aspiring actor, someone at the beginning of your artistic career, and you haven't signed up for Backstage yet and you don't know how it works, I have good news for you. Backstage is offering 30 whole days completely free just for our In The Envelope listeners. If you visit backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code envelope, you will have full access to the site where you can make a profile, upload a headshot, upload a reel, start applying to the thousands of casting notices uploaded every single day on the world's number one casting platform. Again, we are giving listeners of this podcast 30 days completely free to try out Backstage. Go to checkout, that's backstage.com slash subscribe, and enter the code ENVELOPE. If you want to be in contention for an Emmy or for an Oscar or for a Tony or for a SAG Award, do as many of the guests on this podcast have suggested and use Backstage. We are here for you. Again, free 30-day trial, backstage.com slash subscribe, enter the code ENVELOPE. (laughs) 
Actor, comedian, and licensed physician Ken Jeong decided to forge a path through the entertainment industry after growing up and studying medicine in North Carolina, while also dabbling in improv and stand-up. He broke out in Judd Apatow's film Knocked Up and then the Hangover trilogy, stealing the show on Community, his writing and producing debut Dr. Ken, and much more. He now hosts the reality hit I Can See Your Voice, lends his voice to multiple animated projects, and is a panelist on Fox's hit competition show, The Masked Singer. Here is the outrageous Dr. Ken Jeong. Hi, Ken. How are you? How are you doing? Thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing this. Are you kidding? This is so, I'm so excited. I'm such a fan. Thank um, you. And there's so much to talk about. First of all, um, are you familiar with backstage at all? Um, you know, when I first moved to LA, uh -huh. I, I would read the I would read the backstage uh, oh, magazines and newspapers and looking for auditions. And so, yeah, I think every actor, you know, who moves uh, to LA is is very familiar with backstage. That's so great. That yeah. is so great. And you have such. Um, I mean, of course, you've spoken about it before, but you have such an interesting trajectory through the biz. And uh, I'm so used to speaking to actors on this podcast, and I'm, I've, you're definitely the first licensed physician on this podcast. Oh, thank you, Jack. I really appreciate that. I was, I was hoping you would say that, and I was hoping we could keep that in the interview. Yeah, like I'm all, we're all about getting like acting career advice, and in your case, it's this thing of like, if there are any listeners who want to be an aspiring physician or an aspiring actor, like you just have such a specific niche here. <laughs> Do yeah. you get asked questions about that? Like, how do I become a doctor or and or a performer? Oh, well, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and some people want want to know how to transition even from sure. academics in the sciences, not necessarily medicine, but sometimes medicine, you know, how to make that transition from like the academic world um, to the arts world. And I think that's yeah. I think that's a very fair question. So I, I think I. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of an extreme representation of someone who left something that is a completely different world that's kind of there's very little overlap on that Venn diagram of like arts and academics sure. and 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 so um it 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 really is um it, it's an unusual thing but not um but you know but 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 it has has been done. I think there is some some precedence back in in the past. But it basically you're kind of I, I, it just boils down to, you, you know, kind of your, how much you love doing it, you know, either one, you know, how much you love it. It, it really is boils down to passion. Yeah. Totally. I mean, <laughs> that's totally what we love, that's what totally we love to hear. Yeah. Was that, were those early career days, like how, how did you see it? Did you see it as a choice? Like, was it all about trying to find that Venn diagram? You know, that's a great question. I think, um, I think the short answer is yes, because, uh, there was a world, there was a time I was, um, I was a full-time physician, um, working at Kaiser Permanente here in LA and my wife, I was, I, I was just dating my wife at that time. Who was also a physician at Kaiser and all our, our friends, our age who were doctors where we, we kind of had this click where we're all into comedy. Like we would just go watch movies or hang oh. out. And so we had kind of like this click of medical friends that had, a lot of shared interests and literally the same sense of humor. And so Tran and I were of that, of that clique. I, you know, I always talk about how Tran and I met and, and how we got married at, at Kaiser. But, but what I don't talk about, uh, I guess enough is how we, 
you know, we, we were a part of, I felt like we were a part of this group of friends that had a lot in common. And, um, if, if I had not gotten my big breaks and was, really was knocked up when you talk of pure yeah. acting, uh, breakthrough, which led to the hangover, I, I don't think if it was for not, if knocked up had never happened, um, I would have been fine with kind of the existence that I had back in 03, which was mm-hmm. like, I had my, you know, you know, my, my wife and, and my best friends. And then I would occasionally, and then I would do stand up comedy a lot. I would do it at the laugh factory, the improv. And, um, so I was always trying to find that balance, you know, mm-hmm. and always trying to find, and, and honestly, I have to say in 2021, I still am, I'm still looking for that balance. Yeah. I don't think it ever goes away. Um, sure. sometimes it's more medicine than, uh, um, than the arts and sometimes more arts than medicine. And, and, you know, it's fascinating. I mean, I think through this, uh, pandemic, um, you know, I, I've definitely felt more reawakened as a physician. I won't lie to you. So it, yeah, sure. I think w- what this has taught me is that, you know, just like anything else, a career like your life is a series of moments. There is no definitive, okay, the yeah. hangover happened now, you know, now I'm doing this for a living, which, which is true, but yeah, you know, life goes on even beyond that. So, um, and, and, and life takes detours. And, and I think as, as a globe, we're experiencing that now. And so yeah. I think, I do think, um, uh, I think that informs my choices now too. Yeah. Sure. And it's the, the idea too, of like, you've never been constricted to thinking of yourself as one thing. If anything, right. you're trying to be, like you said, many things. And I'm sure yeah. sometimes are you, were you stretched thin? Are you stretched thin? I think in either area in, in entertainment or, or in medicine, you, you get burned out and you, yeah. or at least you feel like you're burned out. So, um, mm. I think that happens all the time if you reach a certain level of aptitude and success. So I, I think that that goes in, uh, in part and parcel with that. But, um, it's not so much the burnout I've ever, even as a doctor, it wasn't, I felt like it was, I, I, I felt like it was time to go. You know, I just felt like it was mm-hmm. time, especially after, and that story has been well told. I mean, after I got the part of Knocked Up and and after filming it, I just felt like there was, just, it was just kind of time to go. You just, and, and I didn't know it, it was my wife that pointed that out. I think I was just coming back home from work, even after oh. filming Knocked Up, like moody and depressed and it was, and my wife was like, you know, you just got to go. This is your mind and your body telling wow. you to go. So I actually, if it wasn't for my wife, who was kind of urging me to go, like I, I, I may not have done it. I, I've kind of, um, I think the, the biggest irony of me uh, is that um, if left to my own devices, I might just go the more pragmatic route than, right. than take a risk. That's so yeah. I, I think I have that kind of personality. Um, I think now... Um, that has definitely evolved because because my wife has really opened my eyes and changed that mindset. So there is definitely that part of when one door opens, one door closes, another door opens. So, sure, sure. Um, and I've you know in many ways I've just tried to impart that that thinking and that philosophy to my kids. Yeah. That it's just a series of moments, and and don't ever feel that don't ever feel like you're labeled or boxed in in any way. Totally. Just always think outside the box. So I think. As I get older, my priority is is to is not only to my kids, but just you know anyone who will listen, you know, to encourage people in general to to think that way, not as just one entity, because we are all 
we're all figuring life is an improv, you know, we're just all figuring sure. this out as we go along. And, and it, we, we, we need to, we need to, to, to listen and look for flags, whether they're red or blue or mm. green, or I don't know what are good. I don't know what color are good flags, sure. but I'll figure it out one day and I'll get back to you. you know? That's not, <laughs> life is about figuring out the flags. Yeah. It's about figuring out the color of the flags guys. That's, that's what it is backstage. Uh, Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is really cool too i think I, the advice is great like it's also good that first of all you make that first leap and it becomes easier to make similar such leaps right outside of your own box but also how cool that it took a third party it took somebody else to kind of nudge you it often does right we need somebody in our community to kind of know us better than ourselves yeah it happened to be my wife um and yeah. but you know i i definitely if you think of the stories that are uh, parallel journeys. It's always one person that in your corner that really has encouraged you to take that, that risky step. And, um, and that's very true. It's, it's, uh, it's, so there, there was risk involved, but I also thought that, um, to be fair, that if I had not, I, I, I needed to know for myself. And so, um, and if, if everything had not worked out the way I wanted it to, I, I could have gone back. And I don't think there's any shame sure. in that. So I really, I really felt like, um, I didn't want to put that kind of pressure. Like I I'm not going to look back. I'm not going to go back. I mean, sometimes you have mm. to say that in, in internally in order to keep moving forward and yeah. to have, and to get better at your craft. And I mean, I looked at, um, at that time, it, I looked at, it was just a wonderful opportunity to just immerse myself in the world of acting, you know, and that was all I wanted to be was to be a better actor. And I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be a working actor, a working character actor. That was my, my goal. Um, and, and, and that was it, you know, cause I was, I knew I had left, um, I, I had entered full-time acting in a later age. It was like 37. So it it wasn't, you know, so I didn't have this, um, design like, you know, where I have to be the lead or I have to be mm. a certain status of actor. Um, mm. And, and it, I remember later on one of the first movies I did, um, someone told me, uh, someone, t- I don't think I've ever told this story before. And <laughs> someone said, uh, <laughs> so we're all kind of gossiping about an actor. And, uh, and someone said, uh, someone said this actor, I, this actor had an opportunity to be a lead of a movie and the movie didn't do well. And there was this, there was this gossip of like, man, that, uh, that, Ooh, that's it for that actor. Huh? And then I didn't understand because it's like literally my second or third movie. I said, really? That person's never going to act again. <laughs> and, then like, <laughs> and then the person's like, no, 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 we'll never be a lead. And then right. I don't think the chance of being a lead again. I was like, I literally was like, woo, I thought that person wasn't going to act again. I didn't, yeah. man, I'm, thank God. Yeah. yeah. And, it, it, and everyone just laughed. I, even I was laughing. I was like, wow, this is, you know, it's just that level of thinking. I, I just love that. It is a strange <laughs> industry. You never know. Like that could be a role. Like you do a box office bomb. You can never work again. I don't know. You know, well, you know, it, 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 it there is that kind of, but it was just like, wow, not, you know, in my head, I was, it was, I was looking at so saying, wow, can't even get a pre-read in my head. Like, you know, I, I didn't know like what it was, it was just such a, I look back now, I'm kind of embarrassed, but it's like, I was sure. embarrassed at that time. And now I, I look back and laugh. It's really fun. I mean, it's just, 
I wish I always thought like that. May I, may I, may I strive for that purity again? I don't know <laughs> exactly. if I'll ever get. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think the late bloomer aspect of your career is it, it can actually be really kind of inspirational to maybe to some listeners who are in that same position. Um, can I ask how exactly did the big break, which it's, it is safe to say knocked out was the kind of turning point, right? How exactly did that come about? There was a lot of, like you said, the stand up. You hosted and emceed stuff like in North Carolina growing up. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, at the at the end of the day, I, I won a stand up comedy competition when I was a resident in New Orleans. That right. was in late nineteen ninety five, and Brandon Tartikoff, who was the head of Paramount and the head of NBC in the eighties, mm-hmm. was um, living in New Orleans, and he and Bud Friedman, who was a founder of the Improv comedy club um they were the judges of this competition Uh and i won and i in many ways that was kind of my entrance into la and and um and the winner got to do some time at the improv and um flash forward a few years later when i finished my residency i kept in touch with bud and um he he got me immediately in the clubs and on the road uh even before i was ready doing the improv and um remember harris like the improv in vegas improv in reno and the improv in Hollywood. And then I transitioned to getting even more stage time in LA at the Laugh Factory. And mm-hmm. and I and that really gave me a lot of exposure there because I was performing almost every night, even with a day job. I, I just literally was booked every night, that which is, is a rarity in LA at a top club. And I was sure. being seen. And I later um, got on The View. This is like in 2001. They yeah. had like this weird, like funniest doctor in America. They were like doing funniest fireman in America. It was like, oh. literally it was, it was 20 years ago, 2001. And they, um, cause of the laugh factory, they, Jimmy Masada, the owner just submitted me to The View and had a connection there. Oh, wow. And, and I won that one. I won like funniest doctor in America. And it was just a very, uh, very, uh, surreal, uh, thing. And then that led to Comedy Central, like appearances in Comedy Central and BET's Comic View. So I, so around o two o three, I think in the comedy community, people started knowing who I was. I mean, it's a very, um, it's a very, it, although it's a very big community, it's also a very small community where just people just know who's on, either starting out on the rise, you know, uh, on the decline. So everyone kind of knows each other. You you just rub elbows in the clubs, you know, sure. which is pretty amazing. Like you get to meet some of the biggest comedians ever you know just yeah. if chris rock just pops in you know for a set i mean you you can just wow just see him like live yeah. it so in that way stand up um it is just amazing. put in the time yeah you're, you're put putting in the time, in the time and then yeah. you're literally watching the greats you know wow. you're having the best seat you know and if you're a regular mm-hmm. at a club you can just watch some of your heroes over and over again see how they do it so um I thought that in many ways, uh, I'm really nostalgic for that because I thought that was an amazing kind of um, climate back then that yeah. we had. Um, mm. And and that led to me getting a theatrical agent who um, uh, got me a lot of auditions and 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 um, a lot of times it wouldn't even get, pra- I literally was just pre-reading. It wasn't even putting on tape, sometimes on tape, but it was just, just getting my feet wet. He was with a boutique agency and he, he was just starting out at the same time I was starting out. And... Um, and one thing led to another, and that led to um, me getting a, a part on The Office. I think it was a co-star role. Yeah. And Allison Jones was a casting director, and she had really was an early champion of mine. And mm-hmm. had, um, so it cast me in The Office, and then casted me in Knocked Up, which was the biggest break. 
And um, it was right after the office I got the part and knocked up and um, in 06. And uh, yeah, that just changed my life. And it little and um, and then when the hangover happened, I think I did role models and Pineapple Express, and, and Judd really took mm-hmm. care of me at that time because he knew right. I was quitting my job. And oh, um, sure. yeah, I told him I was quitting my job, <laughs> and he cast me in about four or five of his movies as a day player, yep. like Pineapple Express, Step Brothers. He'd actually cast me in uh, Drill Bit Taylor with Owen Wilson, and then Forgetting Sarah Marshall, but. I think they, I think one of the, I think Drill Bit Taylor, they end up going with someone older and I think forgetting Sarah Marshall, I think I was filming Pineapple Express at that time. <laughs> and what was amazing to this day, I'll still get a residual check of like, you know, a few cents from Drill Bit Taylor and I was never in the movie. So oh, he wow. had taken care of me and yeah. I'll never forget that. Like how <laughs> early on he had just, uh, he would call me ever so often and just go, you know, you, you doing anything? And like, no, I was like, you want to be in Pineapple Express or you want to do that? I mean, he really took care of me and uh, um, the people like him are rare. He really felt, mm-hmm. um, and he's like this with so many actors. So many actors will tell you at that time, you know, he really just watched out for people. And sure. uh, and um, yeah, at, and then that led ultimately to role models and, and the hangover. And I remember seeing Judd at an Emmy party years later around, and he asked me if I was doing the sequels to the hangover and i said yeah and he it was it moved me he just was like great i don't have to worry about you anymore it was just oh, really sure. sweet it's really That's sweet so nice. and uh and and to this day that that you know i mean here we are 14 years later just you know yeah, yeah 15 years later really since i filmed knocked up so it's uh yeah it still still resonates with me and still yeah. inspires me yeah was it a and was it a coincidence that you're playing a doctor in knocked up um I had auditioned what was it, in March of 06, I think, for that part as a doctor. I think Judd was looking for actors with medical experience. I think he was looking okay. for authenticity. Okay. Um, I, I think the urban legend, urban myth was that I was like uh, Judd's wife's OB. You know, I think I think Dan Harmon asked, oh. asked me that one. Community, like, is it true that you got your star because you're, you're the family physician? Like, no, no, no. No, no. But um, it... Um, but no, it was, it was a, I do remember it was a very long uh, search for that role. I remember putting myself on tape for Allison in March and it was one of those things like you forget about it. And then two months later, mm-hmm. they had not found the right person. And then mm-hmm. they, I was invited to uh, do the table read. It was like a week before production and um, with the whole cast, but I had not gotten the part yet. It was oh, still... Okay. Um, it was, you know, it, it, I had, I knew going, it was almost like maybe the worst callback, you know, you know, the most intense oh. callback ever. Cause yeah. I, in my head, I treated it like it was, oh, this is a callback, you know, uh-huh. it's just, it was literally like maybe I was on in the running for the part, but knowing that I hadn't booked it yet, I think Judd just needed to see me live, you know? Yeah. And, um, I remember preparing really hard for it and, and really, uh, um, you know, that kind of was my do or die audition looking back now. I mean, Absolutely. Judd was there and I, I, it was so intimidating um, because everybody Universal was there. I'm sure all his, you know, Judd's, uh, you know, writer friends and peers, like I just couldn't even look out. I did not want to even stargaze, you know, it was, I was in kind of like work mode, like yeah. as if I was on the set. And then, mm. and also you're sharing the stage with, I mean, literally Seth Rogen, 
Catherine yeah. Heigl, Adam Scott, uh, Jason Siegel, Jonah Hill. It was it's so intimidating. Uh, every everybody in the movie who are now big stars. So I had to. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm so glad I prepared and was really locked in. And I uh, think that that I yeah. think I was locked in and kind of behaved as if I was on set. You know, yes. having that focus. Because I mean, it's funny now. I'll do table reads and if you get to a certain point where you just joke around and like, well, Hey, how are you doing? You know, it's like, sometimes they're, sure. they're important, but they're sometimes not important. This was important. Yep. <laughs> and that, and first yeah. that first one. And, uh, and, um, so I kind of behaved as if my career depended on it and it kind of did looking back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No so, pressure. Yeah. 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 But, uh, I mean, and I do we, remember we, Judd said I did, I did what well. he said. Fantastic. And, uh, it was on a Saturday, I think, and he said, "I'll go, you know, we'll be in touch or something." And then I think on a Thursday, I think I got it. It's funny how you still remember those things, fifteen oh, years later. Most pivotal week of yeah. your life. Yeah. I don't remember what I did yesterday, you know, right. but I, you know, I don't remember what I did last month filming. Totally. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I remember every single. I still remember every single oh, moment. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, and of course we have to. Add, we always ask about audition advice. Do you have an audition like philosophy? Has your approach to auditions changed over time? You know, I, I, um, I like, I had an acting mentor who helped me out and mm -hmm. knocked up and hangover and role models. And even early on, on the first season of community, mm -hmm. that was really, um, and I had never had a formal training, but had a private coach. And, um, it's my goal at that time, having quit my job was I just go all in. I just prepare. I, I, it, I mean, sometimes there's a danger in being overprepared, um, sure. you know, so, and I recognize that, um, but I actually would rather go on to a set, um, knowing if I was a producer or director, I would rather have everyone going on set, uh, prepared than not, yeah. you know, even I, I think that even yeah. if it's overprepared, because you can, if me being kind of the having gotten my start as an over preparer I, I feel like I can unravel that you know yeah. and, and, and some directors don't they don't want that and, and they're and for good reason sometimes when an actor is too locked in their choices and there's time running out and you just mm. don't have time to peel the potato you know yeah. so there is um two schools of thought you know so mm. I don't always think it's the right thing to um over prepare, but I, I say early on for your education, at least for me who didn't have formal training, sure. I I felt that every even if I let's say I didn't get the part because I was over prepared or or I was too locked in and there was just something overly rehearsed about my performance. Um, I think I looked at myself as an acting student who was auditioning. I still had the kind of student mentality. Right. So I felt it was important for me to over prepare. And if I didn't get something, I'd learn, I would make adjustments. And, um, and I learned on community from my castmates, you know, they later told me like you there at some point when you know your character so well, you don't have to prepare, you know? And it was, sure. it was, and, uh, mm. I do remember, I do remember, um, I remember Alison Brie telling me, like, I, I think at this point with your character, you can just go with your gut rather than just kind of yeah. consult your coach. Because I was doing that a lot because sure. I, I had booked community and a hanger. I'd only quit my job like less than two years prior. So I had I was thrust in. I had a lot of opportunity. 
I, I think before I was ready and before, sure. I mean, I was maybe 39 or 40. So I was old in age, but I was a two year baby. I, I was only at, yeah. in, doing acting full time for two years, much less becoming famous. So there was a lot of, yeah. at that time I had a lot of pressure where I, I felt an obligation where, okay, I'm getting all this opportunity. I'm working a lot. I better, I better really like over, like I, I would sometimes over be overly uh, coaching myself and o- over preparing, yeah. which I actually became in, in many ways a detriment because I, I got too locked in when I had equity where I could afford to, to be open-minded, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that, so now I think I look at, um, I look at certain things on a case by case basis. I mean, I think if there's certain, it, it depends on the role, depends on the project, depends totally. on how large the role is, you know, um, I've had some of my best moments in the latter parts of my career by just being <clears throat> incredibly, uh, easy with the flow and, and incredibly yeah. with an open mind. Yeah. And I think the student mentality is super important. It's that, it's that it, there's a humility, right. And being yeah. open to learning new things and then just kind of that curiosity. And I think it's super important. Like this idea of your, you were a two-year-old in terms of showbiz years. Yeah. And that is at the point where you're a sponge and you're soaking it all up. Yep. And maybe yep. artists at any stage of their career need to remember that phase and like be in touch with that inner child. Oh, uh, it, it, I make mistakes on, I make ego mistakes every day, every day. Sure. I feel like I know something and I feel like I back it up with, with, with aptitude. And, um, and so many times, um, I have been wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, I mean, so many, even now, I mean, I'm, I, I feel like it, I feel like my, my challenge now is to, um, is to be confident without um, without being entitled. I think that really wow. is because I think there's a level of success after a while. You become entitled even if you don't mean it. You know, even if you don't mean it. Oh, and okay. I think that yeah. because if you're a professor um, at a school, if you're a doctor at a university for twenty for fifteen years, you're going to have an ego, and you should have an ego. The ego you will we will will. And I'm not talking about ego like number of M and M's in my trailer. I'm not, or you know, I'm not talking about being a diva, yes. being an ego of like, I have a path, I have a lane, this is my brand, yeah. you know? And I know sometimes I do, I'm, sometimes I think about that. I think in terms of that, I know who I am, I know my voice, therefore I'm not gonna choose that path or or take that performance note. And mm-hmm. And that is wrong, and that is wrong. And I think I should always consider it. I should always, doesn't matter what, doesn't matter what level I can always disagree and I can always make a mistake. I'm not saying I have to say yes to everything uh, or Mm -hmm. yes to every suggestion, but Mm -hmm. I really have to, I really want to make, I really want, I need to push myself. And, and Mm -hmm. if I truly want to push myself, it will truly, uh, you'll truly let, you'll truly let it go. Even when you don't want to, Mm -hmm. like I'm a big NBA fan. And when Michael Jordan won his first championship, he got to the finals by, dunking his way you know he in the finals against the lakers like 30 years ago in 1991 so um they were in the closing situation where they could they were they were about to uh close the series and beat the lakers for the title and jordan just kept doing what he does best and he was doing well it was a tie game but he kept like dunking but they kept finding answers for him he kept going to the rim and there was one shooter, John Paxson, who was their best three-point shooter, who was wide open, wide open. And I remember I heard um, 
uh, I don't. Can I curse here? I don't know if I can curse on Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I remember I heard Phil Jackson telling Michael Jordan, "Who's open?" And even Michael knew. He goes, uh, "Pax is open." He will well, get him the fucking ball. Yeah. And, and that to me, you're telling the the, the best player in the world, yeah. who is the face of the league, who is literally, and you had a person that stood up to him in a crucial moment. So important. Yeah. And it was a come to Jesus moment. Yeah. And and I don't think. I'm sure Jordan didn't like it, but he got mm-hmm. over it, passed it, and Paxson literally scored 16 points because he was he had the hot hand, and yeah. they crushed the Lakers. It wasn't like a nail biter, you know, where Jordan barely went. They crushed the Lakers. It was it was a landslide. So, um, those moments, I I, if I'm ever in those moments, I I have to mm-hmm. eat my eat my ego, eat my vision. When I mean ego, I mean my own vision. Mm-hmm. Eat my vision. I'm at a point in my life where I I, I, I do believe, um, like I said, I only wanted to be a working actor. It, that was my whole goal. It wasn't totally. to be famous. I, if I could make, if I could make an income kind of compatible to what I was making as a physician, right. great. Right. But I would do it as a working actor. That was really my goal. And I feel that goal has been fulfilled and then some. And so I, I do, uh, I tell, I tell my wife this all the time. I, I said, I think I'm at my best when I look at the rest of my career as a bonus. If I look at yeah. it as a bonus yeah. that, you know, cause then there's no pressure. I have no pressure to live up to my brand or my vision or my expectations or my lifestyle. I, if I'm, yeah. I'm at my best when I don't think that way. And sure. It's maybe it's because being in London reminded me of that. You know, I wasn't thinking that way, and I think it's some mm-hmm. mindset I really need to um, push yeah. myself more often. And just uh, and 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 it's funny sometimes when you have a level of success, you're thinking like, you know what, I was really good. I like uh, I have no ego. This director told me to do something, and I I didn't want to do it, and I said yes, and it was great. No, you got to real. It's just more than that. You really got to like do either the whole movie like that or do, you know what I mean? You got to push through, you know, you can't just be satisfied with a baby step, you know? And I feel like that to me is where I need to grow, you know? And, and sometimes I have, we're all guilty of it after a while. You get used to yourself and then, uh, you, you, you don't want to think like a student anymore because you don't have to, but it's a reminder. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't want to play it safe. It goes back to taking risks. It's easier to just play it safe and be pragmatic and do what you know. Yeah, and maybe just because I just got off the phone with uh, one of uh, one of my kids who's at camp right now, so I was like talking about stuff like sure. life, oh, so. this is perfect mentality. Yeah, it's perfect mentality. So probably the, there was a lot of I'm projecting um, some other uh, <laughs> sure. uh, healthy issues, but it's healthy projecting, which Absolutely. is kind of like uh, so it's been on my brain um, yeah. more than it usually is in the last few days of you know trying to, um, and then that's a big priority for me too is to kind of practice what I preach, you know, because totally. I'm kind of preaching that. If I'm preaching, I better practice it myself. <laughs> yeah. And I think speaking it out loud does kind of help. Yeah. The, the idea Jeez, I didn't know this vision. be uh, the envelope, the therapy edition. Jesus, I'm so sorry. Sometimes Good it gets Lord. a little therapeutic. Yeah. Good Lord. The, this sorry. idea of eating my vision is so, it's just so spot on. It really is like you're saying about Michael Jordan. It's confidence. It's confidence, sure, but it's not being attached to some ego that prevents you from there. You go learning new things, there being you go. open to new experiences. Because I can't get better if I'm if I'm too attached to to anything artistically. I can't. There's just no yeah. way. Yeah. Or if and, you're too and, dwelling on, yeah, like you said, like your success. If you get too absolutely, 
yeah, or yes. even fame, which is kind of a separate issue, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and that's a whole other, yeah, definitely a whole other beast. I mean, and and, and it's funny you talk about being older. I think that, um, I think that aspect is definitely uh, is easier to deal with when you're older. I think being Uh, famous at forty is a lot easier to deal with when then, and being married with two kids at forty, and um, I think it's a lot easier to deal with than being famous at twenty. I don't. I think any. um, I have a lot of. um, How do I say? I have a lot of. empathy and respect to anyone who can handle it well in their 20s because it's um it it, i don't think i'd be able to handle it as well as some people who i've I've known for many years who who really Mm -hmm. have successfully navigated themselves you know i've come out of it stronger i think it's really hard no one prepares you because everyone's different and everyone's looking for something different Mm -hmm. so it's really hard and i think that is uh um, you know, it's, I think it's much harder when you get that younger. It's, it's totally. very, very blinding, very blinding. Yeah. Cause you got yeah. to experience it at 38 when I love this idea of like you treated it as, as a child, but when somebody's 20 and going through that, they basically are a child. They are a child. And you had yeah. the benefit of a couple decades of experience as an adult to then revert back and create like a new identity on top of that. Yeah. And I felt like empowered with that thought because I felt like acting is all about referencing your life and I've had lived the life. And so I don't think I would, I might've had the talent and I might've had maybe even younger looks to, to get some work in my twenties. Sometimes I I thought that, you know, when I, when I started getting successful, like what what would have been like if I was in my twenties doing it? But I also felt like, well, you know what? I, I do believe the enduring thing of uh, of being an actor or a performer is being able to reference your life and to be able to reference cool. things. And, yeah. and the reason why I got knocked up, uh, the part was because I was, I really, I played a version of, of a doctor mm-hmm. who on a bad day mm-hmm. and I had a nuanced <laughs> vision for that doctor. And, uh, so I played that part. It was, it was based on a couple of, physicians I knew, including myself. Okay. And so, Love and that. only because I had that 15 year history of being in medicine and yep. being able to tease out the nuances, but I never thought for a second he was a bad guy. He just, he, yeah. he you know, he was on, that's him on a Monday, you know, and he probably yeah. had just gotten off call and the hospital probably made him take double the call, see twice as many patients. And he's like, just in, just in a fuck you mood, yes. you know? And so, that's so cool. and yeah. so I really, felt, um, you know, I, I didn't play him as a villain, you know, as an antagonist in the movie. I played him, I played him as a burned out guy. Mm -hmm. And, and I do remember Seth Rogen, who also was an EP on the movie. He did say, I really believed that you're burned out. You know, I really like in your, even on, he had seen my, my, uh, reel on tape. Uh, he'd seen my audition. He goes, I really believe kind of the burnout, you know? And, and so, I don't get that if I'm in 20, if I'm 20 years old auditioning for a movie. So I I get that only because I'm 37. I only get that because I've lived the life, you know? So um, there's no amount of teaching or talent in the world that can get you to that state. It's life that gets you there. So, you know, it makes me look at at, um, acting in a totally different light. It's something that, you know, I can continue on. Um, uh, in, in, in for the rest of my life, just always 
do something that's acting because you can reference something, you know, um, it's not like I did something recently where I'm even referencing something I did on mass singer. Like there's just like in a character. Uh So, so I was able, so acting is referencing something you can just always just reference on your life, you know? And I think that I'm always tracking that. I'm always looking for ways to, to push myself and, you know, and, uh, and it, you know, like producing and directing and, and doing other things too, just to see if I can, you know, just to see yeah. if I can, you know, that is pure yeah. acting advice gold. I think truly like even the, just the idea of living your life that informs acting. Thank you for this like window into your process. I yep. have to ask you, speaking of Mass singer, I have to ask you about hosting and being a panelist. And then I think producing, and I'm actually curious how much do those things overlap for Mass Singer and for I Could See Your Voice, um, does any of that have to do with the acting you were just speaking about, or are these separate skills? I I, I definitely think um, there is. Um, I, I definitely think there's overlap. I think on Mass Singer is. I mean, for me, it's 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 the best TV job ever because it's okay. uh, it's built to be a blind experiment where mm. we don't know who the contestants are, and that's all true. We don't. Yeah. We have the. We have the, it, it really is the best TV job you can ask for. And, uh, just beyond grateful that, that the format, what I've learned about unscripted for the, a great format's like a great script. That format oh. is unbeatable. Okay. That mass mm-hmm. format is unbeatable. It's, there's a it's, reason why it's such a hit. There's a yeah. reason why it's, it's successful. It, it appeals to adults. It appeals to kids. Yeah. It's a game show, but there's actually no cash prizes. It's really a meta game show. There's a lot of meta aspects to it. If you, if you break it down to it, artistic, to its artistic elements, it's, it's it's an incredible case study that I'm sure like maybe TV and film professors may may study and analyze yes. why this became such a huge hit because it surprised everyone. No one knew it would be this big. I no was going to ask you didn't no know signing on. Yeah. No. Well, my mom did had she had an idea because it was the number one show in Korea. I'm, I'm, yes. I'm Korean descent, and my parents all they although they live in the U.S. they have a satellite dish that gets Korean programming, and that's cool. all my mom watches. So. Um, when I told her I was offered the, uh, to be a panelist on The Masked Singer, my mom sent me uh, links on YouTube, right. and she was actually um, – She knew. She, she knew. She actually said um, she this will it, – it's crazy at the – like she said this, but it really happened. She goes, she goes this, will, this will be a game changer for you. Amazing. It was crazy she said that. This will change your career. I don't know if she used the word game changer, but she said this will change your career. This wow. will really, the, I mean, she was so convinced. It was amazing to hear a conviction. And that was any lingering doubt of me doing something in the unscripted wow. space because I hadn't before then. I was like, okay, okay. I oh, cool. Look, I, 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 I will, again, it's another just leap of faith, you know? Yeah, and someone it was nudging just you. Yeah. Someone nudging me and it was, it was, um, it, I, I, yeah, I had doubts about it. Yeah. And, um, and then, and then this happened, and, and now, now we've, I think we've we've done six seasons already. It's crazy. Yeah. So it, it there, um, it, it, and and what I've learned on that show is, the, it's the only thing I've ever done that. See, I'm I'm really a perfectionist at heart. I want it. I I want my takes to be as perfect as possible. I'm the over, guy who over prepares in auditions. Right. Um, it's the only thing, uh, it's like, it's a game, it's a game show. 
and I'm really not good at it. I'm not good at it. I'm, I'm so, and I'm, I'm playing it up sometimes, but yeah. at, at my core, I'm really not good at it. And I'm not a professional singer. I don't have a, you know, not a recording artist. And to be able to utilize my, my improv background, my stand-up background, and just kind of my self-awareness you learn as an actor, you, you, you get into a mind state. Again, you, I kind of get locked in on Mass Singer where it's me, but um, it's a different version of me. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so lovely to be recognized and to be successful for something that you're not good at, but you're having so much fun. Yeah, like yeah. I, it's the most fun TV job I've ever had because I I don't have any responsibilities. Like I'm not. It's <laughs> unlike Doctor Ken where I created and wrote that show and I EP'd. I mean I did everything on that show. Yeah. And then and even as an actor you want to make sure all your takes are perfect. But in the unscripted space it's all about flow. It's not about they're never looking for. It's unscripted. You don't you're not reading off of anything. So they just want your you have to be authentic. And pushing you outside your box. It totally sure. pushes out me outside my comfort zone, yeah. and and also, it's really um, it's it's how to how to channel to the world that you're not good at something, and then you really are having fun with it because it sure. is, you know, um, like and, and I like when I do when I do play Trivial Pursuit when I when I do like game nights with family and friends. I'm, I just tapped into a side of me that like, I'm never competitive when I play these games. So I'm not, uh, so I'm always, I've always been like this as a kid. I just joke around when I even game night, even like you play Yahtzee or Jenga or anything. I'm just that guy. I'm just like the goof. I'm always mm-hmm. been like, so, so I just tapped into that somehow, somewhere along the line that first season it worked. And I just, and now I, now, honestly, I'm kind of, I, I do, Part of it is a little, and I've never said this publicly. Part of it is a little shout out to uh, uh, a comedic friend of mine who who has passed on, but his name is Brody Stevens, and he's always really made fun of himself. His act was really making uh, it like uh, he would deliberately tell a bad joke, get a boo, and almost like Andy Coffin, he would berate the crowd for not getting his jokes. But he knew he was telling a bad joke, like so he knew he was deliberately telling bad jokes, and then he was waiting for the crowd to not respond and then he just gets so upset and it's all it's all performative yeah and so um making the audience a character almost making the audience a character and then now that this season um is really my favorite because we had a live audience back they're fully vaccinated we had a live audience back and uh there were times where um i would do guesses and it's been a long time so you, you just hear booze, like a chorus of booze of like a guest. And I was kind of trying. I remember that was the one they were they were genuinely booing me. And then just like Brody, it was I was like, How dare you? I was in the hangover. I just said that like as any reason, like, how dare you boo an a star of my status? How dare you? I know it's Bjork or whatever, you know, it's just like, how dare you? You know, uh, and like totally drawing on your real life, your your real life experiences. Yeah, yeah. I, I literally yeah. will go down my IMDb list <laughs> and go, yeah. "How dare you? I st- I was in Big Mama's house three, and I stole it at the cold I open. Mean, Have you ever been in Big Mama's house three? I don't think so. <laughs> like I remember telling an audience member something, like getting into a mock uh, uh, argument with an audience Love member. That. 
I like I was in Transformers Dark of the Moon. How about you? Okay? <laughs> How about you? And it it's lovely to whether they include this or not in the in the right. in the show, it's the flow. I'm not doing it for an edit for a soundbite. In my head, I'm I'm doing it for Yes, I'm doing it for performative flow, yeah, and that's what yeah. acting is. That's what performing is, and um, in anything I do um, in life is about finding that flow. Yeah. And so uh, I, I know when I've done a good job on Mass Singer, where there's a good flow, and you just you're just in a state of mind where it's just a you just got a good flow going on, and it's just it's yeah. the best. And and all four judges and the panelists and the contestant sometimes there's this kind of almost like an improv game that they're doing we're not doing it but we're yeah and but we're stepping back listening stepping back listening and i think um i have learned the hallmark of being a good broadcaster and this is what this is 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 stepping back and listening stepping back and listening and that's what acting is and and it's but you're doing it as an improv it happens to be an unscripted space sometimes it happens to be in a scripted space so yeah being an unscripted it's really opened my it's definitely has made me a better performer and um and and then what's really cool like on i can see your voice um where i'm hosting that i'm not in the i'm not in the sweet spot as a panelist where i just get to crack wise you know so i'm literally i'm doing all the um all the unsung hero stuff you just i'm literally there provide exposition i'll joke around when you watch me live but i i know that and i prefer it not, I prefer not to be too comedic. Like I, like my, um, my sister-in-law said, I like you on Mass Singer because you get to be this certain version of yourself that everyone knows. And I like you on, I can see your voice because you, you, I feel like this is the real you. I mean, you see me being empathetic to contestants, you know, wanting to win a hundred thousand dollars. And I get, uh, I mean, sometimes I'll get notes from, um, the, the, my producer, Craig Plestis and, and the, and you know, where he, he produces both shows and he will say, you know, sometimes you're getting too emotionally attached to the, you know, which is good. I mean, that's like, but I think I want, um, but I like that because I, I like the fact that the audience knows that I care, you know? And so there's always like these wonderful moments and and, uh, like heartfelt moments and real reality TV, real reality TV with a good heart. Yeah. Uh, this is that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I've experienced so many moments on this show where, uh, you know, and, and not to give anything away, but but I'll go ahead and do it. Um, but because because I'm an EP on the show and I can, I'll allow myself sure. to do it. But um, uh, upcoming this season, there was one contestant that was uh, I get choked up thinking about it because she she she, you know, just like any game show. Uh, there were trials and tribulations during this episode. There was an arc, as they say in writing, there was an arc and uh, a real life arc. And uh, Mm -hmm. she was so emotional about it and was like uh, saying, uh, you know, this is, oh, she guess she just kept saying, this is my time. This is my time. And it was just, it was during, you know, still during pandemic and she, and there was a lot of reasons why she had to make ultimate sacrifices due to COVID. There's a lot of backstory that I don't want to totally give away, but she just kept saying to herself, it was like, you know, this is my, you know, and, and that to me is maybe in scripted or unscripted TV, like yeah. my favorite moment ever, because just to witness that is yeah. very powerful and very deep. And, 
And we all have those moments in our lives, you know, yeah. in our careers where this is my time. And I, That's and I, that... I related to everything she said, you know, I just related. Totally. I got it. With reality TV, like unscripted content, is it safe to say it's almost like the best of it mimics scripted content and the emotionality and the emotional arcs of scripted content or vice versa is scripted content meant meaning to capture something about real life. It's fascinating how they overlap. Well, I mean, when you watch Nomadland, you know, and just see yes. elements of reality, I just, it, it's so raw. Yeah. Blending the two together. Yeah. You're blend the two together. And I feel there will be more hybrids of art that happen because cool. the lines are blurring. Even when I started was, you know, there was a line between uh, scripted and unscripted movies and TVs and doing commercials, that line's completely blurred with yeah. so much content. It's completely blurred. There are Oscar winners that are doing, you know, Jamie Foxx is doing Beat Shazam. You know, there, there's Oscar, there's yeah. so, everyone is, everyone is crisscrossing. Yeah. Kevin Hart is doing everything, scripted or unscripted. And I think that there will be more projects like, like No Man Land, there'll be projects in the, and there's some projects I participated in that uh, I don't think I'm uh, at liberty to say right now. Some, some, some. I don't ha hate saying top secret. Project. There are some projects that are that I participated in that that really uh, that have flirted with that. And it's funny. I uh, the last couple of projects I, I've done recently, I have referenced more. I've just tapped in some of my unscripted experience for inspiration. Cool. It's amazing. Like I, I'm, I'm tapping into that going for either that emotion or how I felt that day about yeah. something and, and how, uh, uh, like the certain, uh, things I want to do in my own future of, of my own, a couple of projects that I'm developing that I, I want to mimic elements of unscripted where it just, there's just a rawness there. There's, um, like I want to try to go there if possible. And it's a very, even I don't know what I'm doing. And, but that's again, getting out of myself. It's okay. I don't know. I'm, I'm yep. there, there are moments where I'm trying to push for that are, yeah. that are just for uh, personal growth, you know, that are just for artistic growth and yeah. some satisfaction and that I tried. Yeah. yeah. Just following my gut. And that's, yeah. so I, I really think that is, it really is, um, uh, it's a combination of, 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 of letting certain vanity aspects, even stuff I don't think I'm vain about go and then, yeah. and then trusting my gut and, uh, Wonderful. and seeing where that goes. So Wonderful. I feel like that's the rest of my life, you know, whatever that is. It yeah. should. Absolutely. That's, yeah. it's absolutely the philosophy going forward. And I think the point you're making about the current, uh, climate this past year and a half, yeah. uh, it's really gotten us all to think about what we, value and maybe gets us closer to that gut, I think. And, yeah, um, yeah. in that maybe even like in that flow or in that pocket where you feel more creatively, I don't know, connected to something because we're going through it. Yeah. Surviving. Yeah I, yeah. I feel like we're all going through this, you know, with so much media going on and whether it's, uh, information or misinformation. Yes. Where we, it's weird where if you watch, I mean, I watch cable news 24 seven, I'll watch a lot of CNN and MSNBC. And it's like, if you're, I mean, there is like a, a real life Truman show that we're all going through at some time, oh, yeah. you know? And, and so we're all going through this together and there's so much meat. I mean, there's so much coverage where every, you know, 
yeah, we're in an unprecedented age in terms of technology and information that, um, if anything, we need to find ways to uh, compartmentalize and, and capsulize it for our own sanity. And, and, and as artists, how, how can we use this to inspire us totally. to think outside the box? Because right now, as a world, we have, we're having to think outside the box to um, get in front of the Delta variant and to get in front of other potential variants. And yep. there's a lot of, um, and, and, and the most successful at it right now are the ones that are thinking outside the box. And, you know, it's really, you know, science is looking for out of the box thinkers and, 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 you know, and so in my own world too, is really trying to, um, challenge Sweet. myself. And cause there's, I feel like there's something there that I haven't, I have potential for that I haven't even done yet. And, and ask, and, and, yeah, it's all about ask, each of us asking what we can do in these times. Yep. And I want to ask about like what you just mentioned about as, as artists, there's the creative fuel aspect, but can I ask, I know you've thought about, um, maybe it's more the fame aspect. Like, do you feel like you have a responsibility to use your work to address these times? I have to let you go soon, but I want to make sure that we, we tackle, you know, that anti-Asian hate that has arisen yeah. also in these times. Um, what is, what are each of our personal responsibilities? Like, how do you, how do you think about that professionally and then uh, yeah. personally? Yeah, absolutely. I feel a sense of responsibility. If uh, I feel like we all, I feel like all Asian American artists um, have a sense of responsibility, you know, to our, uh, you know, especially, you know, w with all the, with all the hate crimes that went on, um, like in the Asian American community, we all know someone, friend or relative that yeah. was having an incident, you know? And so it, uh, yeah, no, it, it, it really is. I think crazy rich Asians fresh off the boat, even Dr. Ken, like that, it really changed my way of thinking or galvanized my way of thinking of, of being a minority in, in, in show business is that, um, crazy rich Asians was, was incredible because, um, John Chu was like, it's not, it's not a movie. It's a movement. And I think about that all the time. Yeah. So we are all part of the greater collective. So I, it rising tides lifts all boats in this, um, climate. So like watching Shang-Chi is my yeah. favorite Marvel movie. Um, cool. and it, and if people ask me, is it because of the representation? I'm like, yes, yep. that's exactly why it's my favorite movie. Yep. It's a great movie. And I'm seeing people like myself on that screen yeah. making a great movie and people don't know how inspiring that is. Mm -hmm. And, um, you, you feel like a sense of pride and happiness when movies like Shang-Chi is happening. And, and, and this is a movie I have no uh, participation in, but I feel, I feel as if, you know, we all win, you know, and that's such a powerful feeling. And it's, that's why you have so many, uh, Asian Americans, it, the most beautiful feeling, you know, I've seen in the last, uh, seven days because this is the number one movie in the world. Yeah. And the whole, you see all of my Asian American friends and peers, they're all just like so happy, you know, and yeah. just like, and it's, um, it is just a wonderful, 
it's a it's a great moment, you know, and it's a bright light in a lot of darkness. And mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, credit goes to um, Destin, the director, and Simu and Aquafina and Michelle and everybody involved. Um, it's just a great movie, and it it and um, it I just can't wait. Like I just have to see it again. It was one of yeah. those great movies, and then and then um, and then personally, you know, it's great to know that you know movies like this are economically uh fruitful hollywood will make more and that's the same thing that happened with crazy rich asians being a part of that that was the number one movie you know and so then everyone was trying to do crazy rich asians their version of it which is great and then and then that translate other people trying to do all asian all asian american program with more asian americans behind the scenes you know even on Dr. Ken, which I was really proud of, we actually had an all Asian American, five all Asian American cast members. Yeah. And That's Fresh Off the of. Boat had the same thing. Yep. And so we had two Asian American family shows at one time. I mean, ABC was ahead of its time. Yep. And, and we had that. Um, uh, but there were still limitations, at least from my end, behind the scenes. Um, you know, I, I would like more of my projects. Um, a couple of projects that I'm developing now, um, we are definitely all in agreement of having more way more asian american representation not just on the screen but like um you, you know as, in, in terms of department heads or in terms of writing in terms of like really getting more authenticity um behind the scenes like you know in, at, at the department head level and crews and, and things like that i think that's that, like the next level yeah that's next level and that's what um i'm pushing for and that's what everyone's pushing for, whether we'll get there, I don't know, but we will push, we'll keep pushing. I do know someone will get there. I do know someone will get exactly, you know, who knows if my, and by mean, if I get there, I don't know. I don't know if either project will, you don't know if these projects see the, the light of day, if they get made into series, you just don't know. But, but we keep pushing and pushing and we just keep pushing and pushing and, and, and not be deterred. Just, you know, yeah. we just keep pushing and pushing. So, um, so you know, but to answer to your, your original question is is yeah, um, we all uh, do and should feel a sense of responsibility um, yeah. um, to 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 um, participate something. in this movement to do yeah. something, do what we can, yeah, yeah. And I think knowing yourself <laughs> and going back to the life experience thing that does inform what you can then do or provide to such a movement. Yeah, yeah, abs- absolutely. So. Um, no, it's um, it's a challenging world we live in, but you know, it you can still make it. Yeah, you can still make it an exciting one. You know, I think mm. there's you know, I'm an optimist at heart, and I think that you, you know, um, I I remember saying this in a graduation speech. Uh, I don't know if things happen for a reason, but I know you know I don't know if all things happen for a reason, but I know all things happen, and it's it's up to yeah. us to kind of it's up to us to you know, kind of finish that act three, you know, of Beautiful. that script. Yeah. It's really mm-hmm. up to us to finish it. You know, it's, it's up to us to kind of uh, finish up the script. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. That just tied it all together. Thank you so much, Ken. This oh, is awesome. Thank you so much, Jack. I really, really appreciate it. Thank so you. So appreciate it. I can't um, can wait I to do the you... real thing. This is a great dress rehearsal. So when we do the real thing tomorrow, <laughs> this is our table. I room, hope right? I bring, I hope I bring almost the same amount of energy. I promise you, <laughs> this is the best dress rehearsal 
of an interview I've ever had. I mean, maybe the best dress rehearsal ever. I can't wait till all the equipment is on. This was all scripted too, by the way. This is you reading you. I think you hit all your bullet points as if they were improvised. You listened. You gave. We really hit our beats. And it's like putting on a play. We just put on this play six months like. in advance, a lot of workshopping. Yes. Yeah. Was there an argument between us? Yes. Do we disagree on something? <laughs> yes. But I really think at the end of this dress rehearsal, it felt re- it felt real, even yes. though it wasn't. It felt so. I mean, I was moved. Other part was I was emotional. And I was like, this, you are so good, Jack. You, you put, <laughs> Thank you, I mean, Jack. your last name is no joke, son. Well. You are Jack Smart. That's what <laughs> I have to you. say. That's Great. your goal too. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Ken. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I get to keep that for me. Yes. Um, can yes. I ask you, can I ask you one more question? We ask please, everyone, please. Uh, what is one performance that you think every actor should see and why? Um, it doesn't have to be acting though. Like it could be a comedian you admire. You've mentioned so many, you just mentioned Shang-Chi is a great movie that everybody should see. Of course. Um, is there anything that comes to mind? I don't know why this just popped in my head, but there mm-hmm. was, uh, just because I recently rewatched Godfather 2 and oh, yeah. to see Fredo, it was John Cazal, right? Um, he, yeah. the actor playing Fredo, when he had his moment where he admitted to, uh, when when he had his kind of come to Jesus talk with, with Al Pacino, just <laughs> the, the lifetime of frustration being the older brother and the younger brother's shadow, the resentment, the bearing of emotions and it and he and he's uh, such a and he, he's a, a comedic character in the movie but he's also the true antagonist in the movie mm. such a, a such a great part and such a is to me it's only possible with an incredible undervalued performance yes. by john because yeah. um to me that that part is every actor's dream to you're taking the viewer one way and you think there there's a lot of moments of levity at the top of that movie and a lot of comic moments where it's like oh i mean this and as a comedic actor it's like wow this is this pops already even if the he wasn't in the rest of the movie is already, already entertaining yeah. but with that twist and everything that was going on to switch it from in my head moment of comedy to a moment of not only drama, but to a pivot point in, in the story, in the movie, and then to a heartbreaking conclusion. Uh, I love that character. And it just, and then I think that speech is the pinnacle from, um, it it was, it was, it it, it was cathartic. It was even comedic in, in a song because it was authentic because his character was authentically funny at spots. Mm. And, but then, Mm. but just that, that kind of resignation when he reveals that, you know, the, the, the Senate lawyer was also owned by Roth and then how that just sealed the blow for mm-hmm. Michael Corleone. And, you know, he was dead to him literally. Mm-hmm. And then to see kind of him not even acting is just being still. It is acting. Just seem, I don't know, this moment of John at the end, just there, it, there was this moment of, emptiness and you just felt every and it, he was sitting on a couch he wasn't doing any movement except just sitting and it was just there, the there was just so much there it makes me want to rewatch it again but it was uh but it, it's something for me that and you know i it's one i'm one of the people that i can watch godfather or, or goodfellas on you know if it's playing i'll stop yes. what i do and watch it and but that but that moment godfather 2 was just phew, 
off the top of my head. Great you know. choice. Yeah, but yeah, it just came off the top of my head. But I that just uh, such a powerful performance on so many levels. And the older I get, the more I, I appreciate it even more. You know? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's a great choice because a lot of people pick that movie, but they'll pick Pacino or they're pick, you know right. a lot of the more sure. central, maybe more loud performances. But yeah, that's a really great. Yeah, You're right. It's a really hard task. Incredibly that he pulls hard. Off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I say respectfully, it may be easier to pull off a that lead performance because it's, it's, it's well, it's so well drawn, you know, it, it may not be on the level of a Pacino or a Brando, but the roadmap is there. The yeah. roadmap to that performance is, is there and has been laid down by, by so many legendary actors. Hmm. That roadmap that John was providing for Fredo, there was no roadmap. He it's created that roadmap. Yeah. And yeah. that's kind of where I want to go is just to create my own roadmaps. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. Gosh, thank you so much, Ken. No, this is thank so you, great. brother. Really great. Thank you. This is really wonderful. One of my favorite interviews ever, dude. So thank you. Me too. Really appreciate really. this. This is thank really you. enlightening. Thank you. <laughs> thank thank you, you so much. Enlightening for me too. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Grouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.